Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. The Fulhamish Podcast, your independent Fulham FC audio show. My name is Sammy James, and on tonight's show, we're reveling in another late Fulham winner as Fulham continue their incredible 2018 with a last gasp win, courtesy of the man on fire, Alexander Mitrovic. And on tonight's show, fanning the flames of Fulham positivity, Secretary Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Jack Kelly, back for another pod. Hello, hello. And Ben Jarman's here as well. Good evening. How are we all doing? Very well. I mean, um, if I had to rate my weekend, there would be a lot of fire emojis in there. It was an absolute blinder up at Preston on Saturday as we picked up a 2-1 win. We're going to be talking all about that in tonight's episode, looking at the promotion race, of course, and answering your questions at the end of the show. But we need to do some three-word reviews as ever. Lourdes and Lourdes came in, so uh, Jack is on the buttons as ever. Or not as ever, he's he's forgotten his responsibilities for once, which is which is careless from young Jack. But I think um, he's going to make up for his mistake quickly. What came in? I am first one from uh, Brendan Mazar uh, at Azu Visited, which is probably my favourite handle on Twitter at the moment. He said Mitro Snot Rockets. <laughs> ben Jarman, some bloke called Ben Jarman, says automatic promotion the material. Uh, Alex Whiteford says Alexander the Great, which I thought was excellent. Granny Lovekin. Uh, Cult hero, gentleman Jim possessed, <laughs> uh, and Lars Anderson, adoy, adoy, adoy. Although I did really, really like Gordon at FFC Riverside, who said Mitroglycerin goes boom. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing three word reviews as ever. I haven't heard the gentleman Jim audio yet. Uh, Jack, you were saying that you have. Apparently, it's magic. Yeah, yeah. Um, my brother Luke actually, he watched it before me, and he said you got you got to listen to it. Um, especially the winner, because it's really, really good. Um, it just sounds so positive, so um, so happy, and it, it was a magical winner, of course, uh, late on, and he really does uh, it does come across that way with Jamie Reid. <laughs> well, uh, just before we get into press, and just to say that this season we are backed by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. It's Cheltenham week, put some money on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who are you backing? Oh, I'm terrible at horses. You, if I start calling things out, then people will lose money. So, <laughs> you know, don't use me as your example. Follow Eddie the Shoe if you want some. If you want some, uh, want some tips, right? Fulham did the business late on once again with a fantastic two-one victory over Preston North End at Deepdale. Mitrovic getting his seventh goal in five games to secure Fulham another three points. Ben, Fulham weren't at their greatest on Saturday, but does that somehow make it one of Bit Fulham's biggest wins of the season? I think so, yeah. It was a really combative um, victory against a side that really exuded quite a lot of energy and they pressed really high um, with a lot of passion. But ultimately, I think they lacked a little bit of quality in the final third to really give us any sort of trouble throughout. Um, I think we once again demonstrated some serious metal. Um, we had uh, the credentials there to show that we are worthy of being in the Premier League, I think. I mean, Preston started slightly better, as you'd expect. The onus was on them to come out and win the game because they are, you know, chasing chasing that playoff spot. I mean, they'll be gutted, Jack, that they didn't manage to get a win here. But as, as Ben said, Fulham did actually fashion most of the best chances in the game. Yeah, they did, but we took a while to get going. I think Preston came at us from, from the start and controlled the game and didn't let us, you know, dominate the ball like we usually do. Um... They made it difficult. Uh, yeah, we did have a few chances in that first half. Mitrovic probably should have scored. They had a clearance off the line. But, you know, they could have scored as well. I mean, Bettinelli had to make a couple of saves and uh, they made it difficult for us. Uh, Fulham only had 51% possession on on Saturday, Jack, which is surely one of our lowest tallies of the season. I don't think it's been a game this season where we haven't had more than 50%. Do you think this was something in Slav's game plan to give Preston more of the ball than normal and try and attack a little bit on the counter no not really I I think that we struggled to deal with that high press as Ben said and and the way that their front three pushed our back four is we've not really seen anything quite like that for for a long time and the thing with Maguire is that because he's a central striker who can also play as a winger he has that pace and can just harry and harry and harry and that's what he did and Fulham didn't quite do the same up the other end and often we press very high but it's often on the wings and we let the centre-backs have the ball a lot of the time whereas they didn't do that and Reem and Adoy both had very good games but 
were under immense pressure a lot of the time to, to get the ball and, and dominate. And the person I thought really struggled to deal with it in the first 10 minutes was Kevin McDonald. Mm-hmm. And we don't say, you know, nasty things no. about Kev very often. Mm-hmm. Um, he just sort of didn't... Uh, he said he felt a bit out of position at, at times. He looked, he made a few sort of astray passes in those first 10 minutes. And it was, it was one of those things where until McDonald settled, Fulham really failed to settle. And... It, that high press from from Preston has got to be, I suppose, commended. That's trying, you know, a manager who's come out and tried to to outwit Jukanovic in a footballing kind of sense. And I think that that's, you know, to Alex Neil's credit, ultimately Fulham put away the chances they were given, and and Preston didn't. And you know, that's that's what won this game for the Whites. I think something that we need to pick up on is quite early in the game that Preston really made our midfield three feel like they were miles apart from each other. One thing you notice about Fulham's style of play is that oftentimes the midfield three are really quite tight and they offer each other really nice passing triangles. Preston didn't allow that and they separated um, Kenny Johansson and, and McDonald from each other and more importantly they also separated McDonald from that back four, something that we um, have touched upon in previous podcasts uh, especially in the victories over Wolves and Villa. McDonald was basically on top of uh, the centre-back pairing and this time there was miles of space between between those two lines. Well, you spoke last season. It's actually quite a while back now, but I remember you analysing that the way that you can tell if Fulham's game plan is working is if we're doing kind of passes under 15 yards. As soon as we're having to do even slightly longer passes, I don't mean 60-yard balls over the top, I just mean when our uh, general passing is having to go to 20, 30 yards, that's when you can tell that the other team is starting to have an impact on on our game plan. And I guess actually on Saturday... That was more evident than we've seen in any of the matches, really, in the the last couple of months. Yeah, if you look on the match action, there's a a few passes, one in particular from Kevin McDonald, where he tries to play it basically one half of the pitch, straight up to Mitrovic from the edge of our box. It goes nowhere, and there's another one from Ream, basically trying the same ball. And Preston, there was a similarity between them and Reading in the playoff final. They made the pitch feel massive, even Mm. though it wasn't because they created so much space. And Mitrovic was struggling to get any joy from those long balls that were constantly being pelted at him. Mitrovic, although will uh, take the plaudits, he got the man of the match on the Fulhamish website, actually struggled to make a real impact on the game. He did miss a very good chance, though, as Jack mentioned. Um, Steph Joe was put free down the left-hand side, wonderful ball Mm. through to him. He squared it perfectly. It looked like Mitrovic had completely messed it up, but it's actually brilliant work from Preston defender Greg Cunningham. He did mess it up a little bit. It sort of hits him. Yes, Cunningham does really well. And, you know, we we spoke about Cunningham in the the preview podcast about how, you know, that back four is really not given away goals this season and and I think the two centre-backs did really well in keeping Mitrovic at arm's length and, and really you know not giving him anything to really play with especially in the first half where he was almost anonymous aside from that mischance it is good defending but if Mitrovic gets a proper connection on that it goes in the back of the net I'm quite surprised Stefan Johansson didn't take it on himself yeah, especially considering the fact he's returned to form recently yeah. and, and he had a similar situation against Cardiff I'm surprised he didn't really go for it and also similar angle to a, and similar kind of goal to a lot that he scored yeah they're not the last season goal. yeah, yeah. Um, you know trying to work it into that far corner it was quite surprising <laughs> uh, the Whites came out strongly in the second half Ayite tested Declan Rudd early doors and it was a sign of things to come clearly Yukanovic gave the team quite a good team talk and he did just a few small tactical adjustments that seemed to bring the game a bit more into our favour yeah I think that Slav probably had a word at half time you know we weren't dominating the game like we would have wanted to and um, at 0-0 you're still obviously in the game you still got a chance to win it and I think uh, with the Aite chance you don't really expect Aite to actually take a shot on like that no Uh, apart from the goal he scored against Barnsley it was a really good strike great save from Declan Rudd and that kind of spurred us on a bit, gave us a bit of belief that, yeah, we can win this game. A key moment of the second half was the substitution of Ryan Fredericks for Cyrus Christie. Not a substitution that any of us were really expecting Slav to make. Fredericks didn't actually look like he'd he'd run out of gas like sometimes he does. Um, But only a few minutes later, it's the Irishman who sets up Mitro's opener. Two assists in two games for Cyrus. Yeah, um, I think we've all been made aware of the quality that Christie possesses in the final third and although we spoke about some of the wayward kind of balls at the end of the Bristol City game you know we, we forget that that ball across the you know a low ball across the box was a, a really really good pass for the for Mitrovic's goal against City and it was another really good pullback for, for his one here and 
And Christie has that in his locker and always kind of has done. There's plenty of talk about, you know, Fredericks is attacking kind of nous, but Christie offers something a bit different. And he's also, I would say, slightly more skillful than Fred's. He doesn't do the same thing every time. And the, the thing with Ryan Fredericks is obviously as a first choice right back because he bombs on so well. And he does take players on and he's willing to get to the byline and not many people can cope with his pace. But I thought he was offering less than he normally does, perhaps. And and I think it's one of those things you've got to remember that Fredericks doesn't always have brilliant games. And yes, he's a wonderful attra- attacking weapon. And yes, when he gets space to run into, he's brilliant. But he was kind of denied that space by a, a Preston back four that shifted on really well towards the right. There was a lot of openings down the left, actually, which is something that most teams don't give us because obviously they're, they're threatened by Sessegnon. But Preston realised the threat that Ryan Fredericks possesses, especially just sort of bombing onwards, uh, and really did try and counter him as best as possible. And he didn't have a particularly good game. Cyrus came on uh, and changed things up, was looking to cut inside, looking to cut back, and then the defender didn't know what to do. And it was a wild lunge that he evaded, actually. To mm. He did really well to stay on his mm. feet for the pullback. So, you know, that's just uh, another string to Fulham's bow. We now have another right back who's also capable of, you know, providing big chances and providing those kind of opportunities for our front men. And that's got to be a good thing. I think one of our strongest facets of play is that uh, we make use of the wing-backs really, really well. But Preston really restricted that in the first half and for periods of the second. And For me, it wasn't until the likes of Aite and Sessegnon on the left-hand side started drifting inwards, which is when they really started to give Preston a problem. Because you don't... If if a winger does that in that situation, you don't know whether the full-back should pull over, the holding midfielder or the winger that... Or the wide midfielder that is actually marking him, so it it creates a lot of space. And when Aite started to float in, particularly, that's when he saw Fredericks, and then when he came on the pitch, uh, Cyrus Christie become more and more effective. And that's when he got the space to um, put in that magnificent cross for uh, Mitrovic. And again, it's a it's a cross from the byline from Fulham, and you know we see it every week, and it works every week. I'm it surprised indeed. it hasn't been shut down before yet. Um, and I guess that's just the strength and depth that we have that we've mentioned for several times is that Savisa has a squad of 18, 19 players, all of whom are first-team quality and can come off the bench. Mm. And if they do happen to be on the bench, they're not there because they are weaker players. They're just there because that's Slav's plans for the day. And he brings on a player of Cyrus Christie's quality. And that's where we can compete over other teams in the championship. And it was always going to be a difficult game against Preston on Saturday. And it was going to take something quite special to break Preston down. And then a fully fit Cyrus Christie coming off with... um, you know, fresh legs was always going to be a key weapon for us, and that's that's how it turned out. Uh, there's 20 minutes of the game left once um, Mitrovic swept us in front. Preston clearly were then going to have plenty of chances to try and get back into the game, and the, the onus was on them to try and score a goal rather than uh, shut us out as they ha- as they had been doing. And when they grabbed their equaliser through Shawnee Maguire, that was not the chance that I was expecting Preston to profit from. No. Because right. it's, it's it's poor for it's poor from Bettinelli. He's going to be disappointed with his goalkeeping there. It's really disappointing to see because we've been so pleased with Bettinelli and what he's given to the team since uh, he came in. It's the first real mistake he's really made in goal. It's not a particularly uh, powerful header, but somehow he yeah he gets a touch to it. It's disappointing because actually, at the time, gentleman Jim was um, raving about Bettinelli after uh, the save he'd made previously when the ball goes right across the face of goal and they probably should have equalised from there, but. Yeah, it was disappointing to see. And uh, yeah, of all was... the chances that Preston fashioned, the one that they scored from probably wasn't the best chance they had by yeah. quite a long way. He had two. He made an unbelievable stop from Ben Davis about two minutes beforehand, and it's a really good stop. And then he does well in the corner to get it clear. And then it's the, you know, the, the weakest one of the lot that, that slides through his fingers. But you know, we've said about Mitrovic about being a man on fire. You know, Shawnee Maguire is in is now on five in three. And he's another man who's not, you know, who's willing to have a go. And maybe they're just kind of, you know, once Betts gets a hand on it, you expect him to save it. But just the, you know, audacity to have that header at the front post and didn't really have much power, but just was like, right, I'll just have a go. Probably took, you know, took Betts a little bit by surprise because there was probably better options than actually heading it towards goal at that exact time. Well, they always say that that's... uh... The mark of a good striker is hitting it early. Harry Kane's pretty much made a career out of hitting shots early and catching keepers by surprise. And that's kind of what Shawnee Maguire does. He takes that near post header and I, I guess it just catches Bettinelli out. And obviously he should do better. But that's that's how Shawnee Maguire has has made a name for himself. And he's back was back into the Preston starting team and has really made an impact. Well, I think personally, from my point of view, I think there's sort of something lacking on the 
the defensive organisation there. If you look at the replay back, he's got acres of space in between Adoy and Reem there. And I don't know. I don't often say nasty things about Reem and Adoy. Like we often don't say nasty things about Kevin McDonald, but you know there is some uh, there is some criticism there because Adoy clearly has left him for Reem and Reem's left him for Adoy, and he's got in between the middle of them. I think whilst both of them had fairly solid games, there is slight chinks in Adoy's armour starting to show now. Um, that he's clearly a, a right wing back playing as a as a centre back, and the fact that at, towards the end of the game he tries to take the ball from centre back out and then just put loses the ball and puts unnecessary pressure back on the defence when he wasn't there to mop up, that to me is a, is a little bit of naivety from him. But apart from that, he was he was solid all game. I have nothing against him. I seem to find this with, with Dennis Adoy playing at the back is that when he comes back into the side for, for Callas after a little bit of time out, he always looks really impressive on that first time. Mm. You see him in second time, yeah, he plays well again. Then if he gets a run at centre-back, mistakes seem to creep into his yeah. game ever so slowly. And then before you know it, and, and, and Slavisa's not got too much tolerance for, for defensive mistakes and we'll kind of instantly make that change so it wouldn't surprise me if we then see Callas face QPR on, on Saturday because Adoy did just he wasn't at his best mm. he seems to kind of go down hill on a like on a on a graph if it you wouldn't see what I mean. it wouldn't surprise me either but I think that's potentially more due to the fact that obviously QPR have height that they can bring on mm. in the second half and I don't expect to see Matt Smith start but he will feature and Realistically, if there's only one that can out jump Matt Smith. It's Adoy. Yeah, right? but obviously Adoy's smaller than Callas. Mm. As in, it's you know he has got a fantastic leap on him. Yeah. I completely agreed. But in terms of pure physicality, you'd imagine that Callas has more brawn mm. to him than, than Dennis Adoy. And that's no indictment of of the Belgian. It's just a you know just a fact kind of of suppose yeah. of what it is. He, he's just smaller. And I think I don't know if Slavisa will make that change because I did actually think that Adoy. He didn't have his best game, like you say, but I thought he quite handled Maguire well in a in, in a kind of bizarre sense. What he did a lot was he just let Maguire jump and miss the ball and let the ball go over his head. And it did create occasional opportunities for Preston, but most of the time the ball sort of ran on and just let it go. And and although, you know, there was there was moments where Maguire got a run on both Odoi and Reem, and there's not singled out one of them. I think that you know, over the course of 90 minutes, they probably handled him quite well. Mm. Um, and, and ultimately, you, you know, Slavisa's got a winning side there, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised to see Callas into it either. But I wouldn't be upset to see Odoi go again at the weekend. Uh, and then Fulham's winner. It looked like Preston were going to be the side, if anyone, uh, to go on and claim three points. Definitely going into the 90th minute, I was thinking. I'll take a point from this. It's been a tough game. It's been a difficult one, but we can kind of regroup. We've got easier games coming and and a point away at Deepdale isn't a bad result in the circumstances. But Preston seemed to fall asleep from that throw-in. Uh, Tom Kearney just finds, uh, well, I, I say a little bit of space, quite a lot of space uh, inside the six-yard box. A beautiful lob uh, into the middle of the box. Mitrovic seems to lose his marker brilliantly. And then the scenes in that uh, now way end mm. when Mitrovic, the slowest header of oh all time, <laughs> well, the world stopped it, for what it, it felt did, like did. minutes. Uh, and and it slowly made its way past Rudd into the goal. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was sensational. But quite amazing that Preston allowed that to happen defensively. Look, I can understand um, Alex Neil. I actually feel really sorry for Alex Neil. Because he's obviously seething at the lack of concentration, the lack of, you know, they weren't switched on at the back, Preston. And that's why we scored. That is exactly why we scored. Kenny makes that run, he plays a throw, and suddenly he's in acres of space. And Kenny has time to actually pinpoint that ball, loop it over, and Mitrovic's header is pinpoint. It's wonderful because he heads it across goal where the keeper's he's wrong-footed, and it just creeps past him into the corner and... My word, that away and went went nuts when that went in. It's a huge, huge goal for Fulham. Thousands of people just descending down the steps uh, <laughs> to try and get as close to the, the pitch. steps were hella steep at Deep Hill as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like a wildebeest kind of situation. Like a herd. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> it's one of those things. Kenny deserves immense credit for that run. There's a couple of things in the build-up though that I think we should probably touch on. Just before Fulham break. Matt Target makes an absolutely unbelievable last-ditch tackle mm. to, to stop a Preston attack in full flow. The break itself is led by Shea Yojo, who'd come on as a sub, yeah. and, 
and hadn't done. He he releases Steph Joe, and Steph's pass is actually unlucky not to find anyone. It's the, the ball gets cleared out for the throw in that we score from. And but, I think that Preston thought the danger was clear when they made exactly. that and just switched off exactly. for a second. And then, like we say, TC deserves immense credit for ghosting away, <laughs> finding that, and then looping a really really nice ball into the in into the middle of the box where where Mitrovic was waiting and. Mitrovic didn't have a great game. Let's let's be honest here. Let's be frank about it. Mitrovic didn't play very well, especially in the first half, where he, you know, was all but anonymous apart from missing that chance which he should have scored. And you know, but it's his mark of a good striker that he, you know, didn't let those things affect him. When the chance popped up in the 90th minute, he was alert enough to put it away. It's a really good header. It's behind him. He's like, reaching backwards. He gets it across the keeper. And yes, it's slow. And you know, a lot of Preston fans I've seen say that Declan Run should do better. But for me, it's, it's such a such a pinpoint across the keeper kind of header. And you know, it's slow enough that if the keeper could have done anything, he would have done anything. It just is one of those things that. He's beaten him all ends up, and, and he deserves immense credit. And for I that. think, though, in fairness to Declan Rudd, I think we all thought that Mitrovic was going to plant his header to the far post, mm. away from the way that the, the, the cross was coming. I don't think anyone was expecting him mm. to go back to the way the ball came. You always probably... go back to the way the ball came if you're a good striker. That is the rules. So clever. That is the rules. So and that's why I fail at Sunday football quite a lot. Um, <laughs> Fulham becoming specialists now at winning away games at the death. Three of the f- last four away wins secured in injury time. What does, what does that stat tell us about this side? That just basically smacks of a team that is so offensive that you can try and shut them down, but by the end of it, you're absolutely dead on your feet. And we saw that from Preston in the last... On that last throw of the dice, there. They, well, do you think that's fatigue? I don't think Preston make that mistake in the fifth no, minute. No, I, I, I wholly believe it's fatigue. The fact that they've tried to shut us down and press us so highly and so physically the whole t- the whole game, and we've got a little bit left in us. It, it, for for me, that last goal just smacks of two teams who've gone at it for ninety minutes, and it's just fatigue. But against every, any other team, we pass them into submission and then empty the tank of the opposition team very early. Um, and by the end of it, they're dead in their legs. That's why. That's why we can score so many late goals, and that's why we have. Yeah, but look at the, here's the difference, right? Look, when you you think about Preston's and, and Fulham's team, yes, we it was a fairly even game, and Fulham didn't run them into the ground. But from 59 minutes onwards, Salvisa makes three subs. One is Lucas Piazon, mm. who was you know obviously a, a child prodigy at Chelsea and knows how to control games. You know, a Brazilian kind of pickpocket, if you will. One is Cyrus Christie, who creates the second goal. And the other one is Shea Yojo, who's just a boundless like energy, mm. is what you need driving forward in the last couple of minutes. They brought on Billy Bowden, who they picked up, good player, but picked up from Bristol Rovers. Mm-hmm. You know, they brought on Josh Harrop, who is someone that's been touted, you know, highly as someone in, you know, who's from good, United. From mm-hmm. United, but hasn't never really got a go there, no. didn't really make it, and hasn't featured in this Preston side, you know, particularly heavily. Uh, and Callum Woods, who they brought on at half time, which was obviously you know, a forced change for Cunningham. But it's one of those things, look at the quality that Fulham have on their bench now. That kind of, you know, intensive running that, you know, the fitness team and Marco Cesarini must be given mm. absolutely immense credit for in that Fulham always seem to have an extra gear at the last in, in the death of games. But you know, with those two things together, you know, not only are we a really, really fit team with, with players that go for 90 minutes up and down, up and down, but we also have quality off the bench and, and pace and power and strength. And when you put all those things together, it means it's very difficult to like defend against us when we've played our game for 90 minutes. And yeah, we weren't brilliant against Preston, but we still controlled the game in the second half. Especially after we scored, we looked in control <laughs> until until they got an equaliser. Really, yeah, it's just it was just such an open game between two sides that literally just went at it. And Fulham normally don't have this well lack of control for want of a better word, yeah, or like a better phrase, because normally we're we're 60, 70 percent possession against most teams here. We have, I think, we averaged just above sixty throughout the whole season. So for us to be just above fifty here shows Slow, shows yeah. Preston's quality and, and and shows how open that game really was. And you can see it on the on the highlights in the ninety minutes. It's just a ding dong battle yeah. from start to finish. And out of those six games that we had, we all knew the run that was coming up. That was the second hardest game we faced, hmm. which is which is surprising on paper. Bristol City was the hardest because you know it was a point. The rest we've won. The rest yeah. we've actually got three points from, and that was a slog. We had to grind that one out. We had to get the late winner. The rest, uh, well, apart from Derby, we had to grind it out. But the rest, we, you know, we beat Villa, we beat Wolves, and you know the rest. 
But I mean, it, the confidence in this side must just be sky high. And in a minute, I'm going to be asking you whether you think Fulham can go the rest of the season unbeaten. But yeah. just all of these 90th minute wins as well. Just to, I mean, their their egos walking around Motspur Park at the moment must it must be enormous. They must feel on top of the world. They must feel like they can achieve anything. And certainly as fans, I'm just so excited for the next game. I don't want to miss one because yeah, exactly. at the moment this Fulham team is just delivering game after game after game, and it's it's amazing to see. Uh, after the break, uh, we're going to be chatting about the promotion race, looking at the other teams, Villa and Cardiff both getting big wins. Are we assured of the playoffs? Can Wolves be caught? And I will be asking, can we go unbeaten for the rest of the season? And there's a stack full of questions to come as there well. Is. Hello, I am Breda Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Fulhamish Podcast. My name's Sammy James, joined by Jack Collins, Hello. Jack Kelly and Ben Jarman. Mogwan. In our makeshift studio. Yeah, yeah, we're getting by. Yeah, we we, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago that uh, things are changing for Fulhamish, so we're currently in my new office. Uh, they don't have an actual studio yet uh, ready for us, so we're kind of recording on our microphone, which is on the table, but we're at least in a soundproof room, and I'm hoping it's uh, sounding okay. Uh, to you listening wherever you are, if you're on the train, to work or at home or abroad, wherever it is, hopefully it's sounding all right, apart from Jack Kelly clanging his phone onto the desk. Um, (laughs) So um, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving us uh, a little bit of a review on iTunes if you haven't already. Five stars does help. Uh, We haven't had some reviews for for a little while and it really does help the algorithm to push this podcast Mm. over to other Fulham fans. So if you can leave us a review either on iTunes or on Facebook, actually. wouldn't mind some Facebook reviews as well. You get Facebook reviews. You can, and it helps the Facebook page. So um, if you're on Facebook and you like Fulhamish, you can just give us a little review on there as well. So whichever you use, iTunes or Facebook, much appreciated. Uh, On this week's Fulhamish Extra, we're going to be looking ahead to the QPR game. Uh, We're going to be chatting to a QPR fan as well. And we're going to be featuring... Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't understand what you said then. Uh, we're also going to be speaking to David Lloyd from Two Fifth as well. Uh, the new Two Fifth is out uh, this Saturday. So um, we're going to be speaking to David about the latest Two Fifth. It's nice that we try and uh, feature them as much as possible because it's yeah, big a, up a, a long-standing Fulham institution uh, and we like to support it as much as we can here on the podcast. Right, Without much further ado, let's look at the promotion race. So Fulham didn't gain much ground uh, once again. Villa and Cardiff both getting uh, wins in their respective games. Villa's in particular, a very impressive 4-1 win against Wolves, who seem to be uh, slightly uh, falling apart. I mean, they look like shoe-ins, but they're not really anymore. Um, all three sides, though, uh, ourselves, Villa and Cardiff, are on incredible form. Seems to basically be a game of who cracks first. Yeah, that's, that's. I think I think you've just hit the nail on the head, Sam. And you know the the thing is that behind us, Wolves have the easiest running, and Villa and Cardiff both have slightly trickier games to go. So that's going to potentially be a factor. But yeah, at the moment, it, you know, you say that these teams look unbeatable, and, and it kind of does come to pass that way in in a lot of respects. And you know, ultimately, we've been saying for a while now that all we've got to do is keep winning and hope that someone else slips up. And if they do, we'll be you know placed to to really jump at that opportunity but if not then we're going to have to try and just keep winning and keep winning through the playoffs but obviously there are three three teams trying to catch Wolves who did look invincible no longer look invincible but you know I, I'd still if you were to just put money on it I would, I would be putting Wolves to win this division I think well there's still eight points between ourselves and Wolves and they've got a game in hand who I cannot tell you who their game in hand is I think it's tomorrow it's Burton Albion Oh, right, OK. So that's probably going to be uh, 11 Three points. Wins so it's still quite hard for us to catch Wolves, but maybe not impossible for Cardiff to catch them. No, they're only three points three behind points, at the moment. Yeah and, yeah, and Cardiff have also got a game, so it's yeah, equal to Brentford. Yeah. So it's hoping Brentford can do us a bit of a favour. Well, QPR yeah. play Villa tomorrow, so for once, tomorrow... We need to be cheering for not only a Brentford win, but also a QPR win in the bizarrest um, turn ever. Yeah. yeah. Don't like that. I'm going to probably keep my head under the parapet for most of that evening. Yeah. Look, all, all we can do is, is hope and pray that they do the business. But with, with Cardiff, it's so frustrating because obviously they played Birmingham on Saturday and Birmingham are fighting for their lives. And some of the Birmingham's defending on Saturday was so poor to concede those goals. Mm. So soft. And they only came alive in that second half and got two goals back. 
Uh, they could have been. They could have got three goals back, but they missed a, a, another decent opportunity. Well, it's two games in a row now where Cardiff have conceded late goals, and they still managed to win the game. But both against Barnsley and Birmingham, they've kind of had nervous finishes. Yeah. And they've been a little bit fortunate to actually come away with six points from those two games, given the fact that they have being under pressure but Villa do just look a little bit unstoppable and we were we waxed to a lyrical after we beat Wolves 2-0 and rightly Villa podcasts up and down the land can be uh, waxing lyrical after what was an amazing 4-1 mm. victory their second half performance w- w- was was breathtaking to, to say the least are we assured though of the playoffs 10 points inside now surely it's just a couple more wins before it's pretty much mathematical yeah, I think uh, apparently the bench. This is according to MJG on Twitter. As you know, we're all a big fan of him. Uh, according to this year's predicted uh, points threshold for the playoffs, it should be seventy-six points. So we're only a handful eight off. Point, I think it's eight points off. Uh, eight, eight points off at the moment to yeah. be gu- for, to be essentially guaranteed a playoff place. Um, but you know, if you go into a horrible run of form, there are teams in there that can pick you off. Um, you know, Borough are starting to pick up form slightly there. Yeah. Derby could, you know, get their form back um, after they've sl- they've been sliding recently. And even teams like Millwall, who don't seem to yeah. be losing many games at the moment. So no. I don't. I do like to think though that we are probably going to be in one of two promotion pictures, either the automatic promotion race, which still remains to be seen. I'd like to think now the playoffs are never assured until it's mathematical, but hopefully we are very much in that race. And and actually, if you'd have told me back in December. Fulham make the playoffs. I'd have bitten your, I'd have bitten your hands off after that Sunderland game. To, to even be in the playoff picture is amazing. I'd like to the... say that there was a couple of us in it that says we could still do it. Mm. <coughs> Jack Collins, Ben Jarman. <laughs> yeah. It's remarkable. I was on the train back from Sunderland with my friend Lewis, and we were just talking. We we're like, well, that is that. That is just completely that. And um, after Barnsley, then Cardiff, and then uh, we got the point at Hull. Started to gather a bit of momentum and, and look what we've done now. 15 games unbeaten. Now, is that the is that the longest unbeaten run that's in the Championship this season? We're the uh, longest the unbeaten run in the top leagues in Europe, apart from Barcelona, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, Barcelona correct. haven't lost since August. So uh, they're sure. on a phenomenal unbeaten run. But um, yeah, we're the longest in the whole, on the whole continent at the moment, uh, aside them. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible... incredible. It's There's so many stats going around. Apparently, yeah. it's... Um, Fulham's longest unbeaten run since our Division 1. I think if we beat QPR, we, 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 we don't lose. No, we match it, do we? I thought we beat yeah, it. Yeah, I think we match it. We match our, our record unbeaten streak ever. If we don't lose If we to avoid QPR. defeat against Queen's Park Rangers. I mean, which screams we're going to lose 1 0 to Matt Smith, Matt Smith <laughs> ninth minute header, doesn't it? Uh, it does. I mean, <laughs> Jake Bidwell deflected goal. <laughs> Off Matt Smith. Yeah. Lo- lots, of, lots of people ask what the word Fulhamish means. Yeah, Losing to QPR on Saturday is what Fulhamish means. Yeah. That is it to a T. And I know some people hate the word, but that is the very definition of it. Uh, Michael Gray said on Football on Five uh, that Fulham will go the rest of the season unbeaten, which is one hell of a claim from Michael. But I guess it shows the faith that he's got in this Fulham side to to, to keep it up. I mean, well, I think we'd all love to say we agree with Michael, but there come there has to be a point when the run comes to an end. Does and, it? Yeah, of course it does. This is football, Jack. What, in the playoff final? Probably no, not luck. Yeah, but I think I think before the end of the season we may pick up a loss. I mean, there are a couple of tricky fixtures in there: QPR, Brent- Brentford in there, Millwall away in there is the one that I'm quite scared about. And I think I put a poll out on Twitter the other day about who do you see as our potential banana skin, and everyone's going for Brentford at the moment. But personally, I'm quite scared of QPR. Um, it just feels like it's slightly. They've got nothing Not to play for. Nothing to play for, but they will try and ruin us. No, that's yeah. it. They're, they're, their season is over. Holloway hates us. They know for a fact... He knows for a fact that he's lost the fan base. The only way Holloway can win back a fan base is by being a rampant Fulham on their own turf. Yeah, that yeah. is... Holloway pulled out one of his other uh, amazing quotes this weekend on Football 5 where he was talking about giving a debut to the guy that scored their goal. And he, oh, called, he said he wanted to bring some QPR magic back to the team. There's no QPR magic. It doesn't exist. <laughs> just a team of shithouses who play rubbish football. It's just what they are attractive. When Michael Gray said that we, we could go the, the rest of the season unbeaten, it, uh, me and my brother were really, really pleased with what he just said. Um, but 
that it's the Millwall away game that I'm I'm really scared about. Mm, like, I could just see a one 0 defeat in that one, but hopefully I'm wrong. Especially when you saw the way that kind of Millwall beat Brentford on Saturday. They didn't play particularly well. They got another goal in the opening 60 seconds through George yeah. Saville, who uh, really stuck it to the Brentford fans. Did you oh, notice? that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I did like that. And then Brentford thought they'd equalised through... Was it Canos? No. No, it was um, It was uh, the, the right-back. Um, Barbe. Barbe. Johan yeah. Barbe, who celebrated for a good minute before I know. realizing oh, yeah. <laughs> the goal yeah it's unbelievable how long he celebrates for but did you see how long it took the linesman to put his flag up yeah correct but correct, so long but way too long I mean come on he, like, he, yeah. he had like good three or four seconds and went no actually I do fancy that offside <laughs> well, we could have called on our resident uh, official Farrell Monk but he's unfortunately ill today so yeah, he's been taken oh, sick we, we, we can't get a POV from the uh, officials all I'm saying, he was in Preston on Saturday. I didn't see him, but he I told... I saw him at the ground. I saw him in Pop World. <laughs> so did everyone else, I think. <laughs> All I know is I got a text from him at 10.30 and he'd already had a lemonade too many. 10.30 a.m., I believe. This yeah, is. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd, had a, he'd had a sherbet. <laughs> one, one too many sherbets early doors. Fair play. I well went done, to, I went to a, way. I went to a <laughs> brilliant boozer on Saturday called the Moorbrook in Preston, which looks can be very deceptive from the outside, but mm. it was it was absolutely stunning in there, and everyone that all, all the Preston fans and a few Fulham fans are in there as well. We're in very good spirits, and it was a, it was a nice watering hole. So if we do have to go back to Preston next season, and I'm hoping not. Or in the playoffs. Or in the playoffs. <laughs> Maybe in the playoffs. I definitely recommend the Mortal Book. Right, um, let's open the question bag and see what's inside. Let us indeed open the question bag. We've got a load of questions today. A well, lot we've got a bit from, of time, so... Um, a lot on email. We've got some, some, some funny ones. We've got a message in. Let's take Lydia's one first. Um, Lydia says... Lydia Campbell of, of all people says we have nine games left while the other teams around us have ten. Eight points off first, five points off second, and one point off third. Albeit this could change tomorrow night. The team above us have arguably the most more difficult fixtures based on positions in the table, and also have games against each other. With this in mind, is it conceivable to think that Fulham could actually finish as champions? P.S. I know this is out there, but I'm interested to know just how high people think we could finish. This run-in will be so exciting. Um, champions, no. I think that at the moment, second is looking hard enough. I mean, Wolves are slipping, and, and that's what I wanted to ask you. I kind of did, you know. it's They could be caught, not only by Cardiff, but potentially also a side in third. I think if Wolves don't finish in the automatic promotion places, I don't think it will be Fulham taking their mantle as champions. I imagine it would be one of the Vibe Villas or Cardiffs, but... I mean, Lydia's got a point. Mm. She does. Um, I, I think it's not inconceivable to think that if we are finished in the automatic spots, we could win it. I think that it's more inconceivable for us to finish in the automatics than it is for us to then end up going on. And, you know, there's, the thing is that between Wolves and Cardiff, there's only, what, three points? So the gap between us and them is far bigger than the gap between each other. So if we're catching up into that territory... There's nothing. There's nothing saying that we couldn't go on then and, and kick on over. You know, if we're getting into that kind of zone already, then why couldn't we? Is is a kind of the the atmosphere? I, suppose. I think you're going to need to win. You need to going to get about ninety points to get um, the title. I think roughly ninety points is going to be what you need. We've got twenty seven points left. We're on sixty eight now. The maximum we can get is ninety five if we win every single game. So pretty much, I think to finish as champions, we have to win. All but one game, one or, or maybe you could get one and a draw, which is not inconceivable with the way that we're playing right now, but it's just slightly improbable. Yeah, I yeah think. but it's improbable for us to have won five of the last six as well. Well, and I'm beaten in 15, yeah, so nothing's impossible. It's as tough a task as we're ever going to face, but I don't think it's, I don't think we'll be champions. I, I, I agree with Jack, I think it's maybe a little step too far, but I don't see why we can't get automatics if we carry on the form and. You know, Wolves are slowing down slightly. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be slow enough. I think Cardiff, they can't keep scraping past smaller t- smaller sides and they may run out of steam slightly. But we I'm said just, that about Reading. Last yeah, I'm just year. worried about Villa. I would be surprised if Villa won it and we came second and Wolves dropped off. You're mad, mate. I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I'd actually be really pleased. Jack's been to the <laughs> take, pub. I'd take, Jack's been to the pub. I'd take that, you know. Go get Sky Bet on and request a bet. I'd like to see the odds on. I've that. got no money deposited, but I would love to. <laughs> I would love to do it. Surely uh, we should do it on Labrook, shouldn't we? Yeah, I, st- I stick to Labrooks. Oh yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so we're actually sponsored by Labrooks, I mean. I'm sure uh, you can message Labrooks as well. 
Okay, yeah, there's a there's a quick one here. This is from Ali. He says, I, I think this question is gonna is gonna get quick answers from everyone, but it's a it's a it's a, it's a valid point. He says, after the season over is over, if we're in the Premier League, do you think we'd stick with Savić Kanovic or go down the same route as Watford and just get a new manager in instead? <laughs> Ali, you mad? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shout out to Ali. He always gives a score prediction on the Snapchat. I remember oh, that. Um, I don't. I mean. You wouldn't have thought it would happen to Watford, and actually, it didn't end up working out that badly for them. I think it's two very different circumstances, though, between the ownership situation at Watford and the way they run things and the way we run things here. I can't see Fulham not sticking with Jukanovic if we did go up. Whether Jukanovic has a dispute, though, in terms of organising Premier League transfers, I think that's a more realistic mm. problem. But I feel like let's cross that bridge when it comes to it. Fair enough. We're going to keep moving. This one's from Ed Doubts. He says, how much better are the bottom half Premier League teams than us right now? Would we really need a complete squad reshuffle? You wouldn't need a reshuffle, but you'd certainly need some additions across the pitch, especially in, in my opinion, the thing that will keep you up in, in the Premier League is the, de- the defence and then ultimately the midfield, which I feel like is a little bit thin at the moment. Um, you'd need to at least get two quality centre-backs in and maybe two additional midfielders. Um, and that's maybe a not, keeper. yeah, maybe a keeper, and that's not with that, that's not accounting for any potential losses that we could have should we go up. Do you think um, Steph, Joe, Kearney, and McDonald in the middle could compete in the Premier League? I do. I do against yeah. the lower sides, but I'm not sure against the bigger sides. But if you look at the bottom half of the table now, you you'd argue we we are better than West Brom. Yeah. yeah. I think um, Brighton are in good run of form, so but you could maybe argue that we are as good as them. Yeah. Um, I think we're in the same we're in the same bracket. Yeah. I don't yeah, know if I we're think, as good as uh, no. I think they could beat us on their day, and I think we could beat them. I think on we our could day. beat Southampton at the moment. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that in, in the bottom half. We could we'd give a game. Yeah, we'd West Ham, another one. Crystal Palace. But you look at Southampton, and they've got some yeah. real, real quality players, and they are where they are. You know, yeah, Hoiberg. Some, would, someone like Hoiberg would be would be a lovely pickup next year, but I think that's well out of our reach. Oh. I think like Redmond would be a nice pickup as well. But you look at Stoke and they've got, you know, wonderful players like Shakiri and they're they're in the bottom three. It just seems yeah, at the moment they had Mark Hughes as a manager <laughs> and that man is poison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just conceded as well. Good. Yeah, one no Good. 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 I, I would love Hosebed to come back. Like, I would love it if we would we all you're talking to the right audience here Jack <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see come back but that's never going to happen um, yeah I'd like to think that we could hold our own in the Premier League with the current squad plus a couple of additions I agree I think the defence is key and do you know what I would try I would try everything to try and get Mitrovic yeah of course well I think that it would be it would be mad on the current run of form that Mitrovic is in with this team to not think of him as a long-term acquisition if we were to go up. Yeah, he has to be in that. He has to be in the plans because he's that good and he could score fifteen odd goals in the Premier League and he could be that difference between you know Premier League survival and relegation. Okay, let's keep going. This one's from FFC Joe. He says, "If we don't get second spot, who would be your main worry in the playoffs? Currently, I'd say Middlesbrough, Pulis building a side, a decent side, and one I would add that's in his own image." You were saying this on Saturday, weren't you, about Middlesbrough as your main worry? Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned by Middlesbrough just because I think they could batter their way through us, I think, uh, maybe, potentially. Also, Bamford suddenly starts scoring goals again. Mm. Really weird. I'm quite scared about Middlesbrough. If there's anyone you don't want in the playoffs, it's Pulis because he knows how to grind out a 1-0 win against any team. Um, You remember all those times he was at Stoke and Arsenal used to turn up and he just used to play them for fun. And I think... We, are, we sort of can be similar in style to that Arsenal team and I think you know, it'd be difficult for us to to beat uh, the Middlesbrough the, the form they're in at the moment and they're making a bit of a late charge as well I think, I would say I was scared about Derby they look to be slipping out of form mm. at all the wrong times in true Derby style the one thing Classic about Rowett. the one thing about Middlesbrough that I think we've forgotten is that at the beginning of this season we thought they were a shoo-in for the top two because they have that quality in their squad they've fallen by the wayside but even up until like October, November we were saying okay Middlesbrough have had a bad start but we reckon they're going to do what basically we've done and and it just hasn't happened for them but they're now in form and yeah I I don't think any of us want to face Borough in the semis no no chance I don't know what it is about us but I just find us so vulnerable when it comes to the playoffs like take form out of the question I just think that any team could really do a job over us and, and that's quite scary and I think Borough are a team 
you know, the likes of Adama Traore and Bamford on fire. Um, it could be really difficult, and that's probably the team I would I would look out for as well. Although what an away day that would be. Yeah, but that's the thing because when we won one nil, it was one of our poorest performances. We didn't deserve anything from the game, so that that's why I'm scared about them. Okay, let's pick a, a couple more from from the post bag before I go to the emails. Um, this is this is an interesting one from from Drew, who who sometimes features on this podcast. So shout out to Drew. Gallivanting in Colombia. He is gallivanting around Colombia, but he says the right side of attack still feels up for grabs. Although Aite's got the nod more often than not recently. With a central formation, the other ten positions kind of locked down as opposed to more rotation early in the season. Who's your pick on that right hand side for the remaining nine games? Ben, I'm gonna start with you. Floyd Aite. Why, Ben? <laughs> Talk me through this. I think a lot of people can underestimate what Floyd does and how intelligent he can be. I know I'm a big fan of his and you're all going to laugh at me, but you know, a lot of you are equally as big a fans as, of Niskan Scabano as I am of Aite. Yeah. And I think Aite offers um, a little bit more intelligence than someone like Niskan's does and often weighs in with a goal and uh, it can be seen in sort of like the build-up to most goals in some in some way, shape or form. It was only until he started to realise he needed to drift inside to let the full-backs overlap him at Preston that we started to become quite effective. Um, I feel like I'd say he, he can start to weigh in with a few goals and it's happened a little bit recently and you know it might start might start happening for him a little bit more and as Jack highlighted, you know, he is capable of um, hitting them from, from distance and out of the blue, and he's capable of the unpredictable. So that's why I like Floyd, and I think he fits in with our system nicely. As much as I love Cabano, he's obviously not doing what's required of him, hence he's not playing. So I'd go with Aita cause, only because he's just playing in and out, because he's playing in uh, week in, week out. The one issue I have with Aita is I feel like he makes, he, he spends too much time on the ball. There was so many examples in that game against Cardiff on Boxing Day where Fredericks had made the run down the right. And he wouldn't play him in until the very last moment, and when, and then the chance is gone. But I do, obviously, I love all our players. I do like Aite, but I do miss Cabano. I think it's an interesting one, and it's a good question actually. So, but it's it, it, there's a lot of things to consider in this one, especially you know, no doubt the opposition, which is obviously a key one. If you have an opposition fullback who likes to bomb on in the kind of mould of someone like Ender Stevens from from Sheffield United. It's obviously useful to have someone with Ojo's pace in there because he's so direct and he forces that fullback backwards. Aite is probably the better player until he has too much time to think, and at which point he becomes utterly useless. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on balance, on recent form, and, and Aite came in for a lot of criticism earlier in the year, as you know, in the same way as Steph did, and both of them have regained form in, in quite a spectacular way. And Aite has not been as you know, prominent in terms of obviously goal scoring and assists recently, but his overall game has been so far improved and with that kind of understanding he has with the right you know, the right backs and he's obviously worked on that with Ryan Fredericks because obviously Aluka used to fill that role and that was unfamiliar for him at the start of the season. He's obviously worked quite hard on that in training and that's why Slav picks him because he's obviously built up that kind of rapport and built up that understanding and, and Slav trusts him. And that's ultimately what it comes down to at this point. I think Slav likes Ojo. I think that we will potentially see Ojo introduced earlier on in games than we did against Preston, especially when we are you know, slightly more, I'd say, in control than we were at that game. But I think you probably start with Aite and bring on Ojo around you know, the 60-minute mark, I think, is, the, is the, what we'll see more of going forward. But thank you, that was an excellent question and one really well thought through. It's clearly been thinking about that on the beach. Yeah, no, it was. Um, here's one from Jamie Craig. It's It's a bit touching on what we've had before but it's a good email so I'm going to read it out it says alongside Reem Adoy has been colossal since Kalas was injured and makes our back four the smallest and most technically sound defence I've watched perhaps even technically superior to McDonald, Sessignon and Mitrovic and with an average height of 5 foot 10 this has coincided with a slightly more mixed style we've played the ball forward faster on occasion since Mitrovic came in to good effect do you think this variety of play and greater accuracy of longer passing is a result of Adoy or Mitrovic and has this tweak contributed to Fulham's fantastic form against the Championship's best sides? I notice that so many of our attacks on the counter and the slower passing moves are reliant on the quality of our defence in finding attackers in spaces further forward. This has meant that Johansson, Kearney, Aite and Sessegnon have also all been able to play further forward and the spaces they find in front of the opposition's defence have been devastating when they can turn and run towards goal. I've never enjoyed watching a team and manager slash coach as much. 
Mitrovic has definitely had an effect on the way we play. We seem to be able to play a more direct style when we want to with Mitrovic because of his ability, not that he showed it on Saturday, of being able to be the target man. You can just ping a ball into Mitrovic from you know, 20, 30 yards and he nearly always makes something of it. And I just don't think a Kamara or Font really had that ability to take the ball down and offer that so I think it's actually the outlet of Mitrovic that has led to this kind of varied style of football that we seem to do yes it's generally a short uh, possession based passing game but we can change it up and I think that's Mitrovic more than a doy it's a lovely um, email though thank you from my point of view it is, it is the introduction to Mitrovic that has allowed us to interchange the way we're starting to play because look at Fonte he offers us um, some great feet and some great technical ability in very tight areas and if you look at Kamara, he offers a strength pace and uh, some sort of hold-up play. But about the negative thing about both of these strikers is that at times they can be found slightly isolated, especially by the bigger, faster defenders in the championship. You especially look at Fonte for that. Um, he's probably the best example of an a striker that can become quite quickly isolated by himself. And therefore, when you get a striker that's isolated by himself and can't keep the ball, it's very difficult to bring in the midfield and therefore squeeze the pitch. One thing that Mitrovic has added to our game is that he's very good at holding on to the ball in very tight situations. And you look at his immense strength and his good technical ability, it enables the rest of the midfield to push up and get around him and start playing shorter passes and then sucking in uh, the defenders and then the midfield into the middle of the pitch before releasing a ball wide to the fullbacks. Um, it's quite clear to see that with Mitrovic in our ranks that we're we're much more comfortable pushing up the fullbacks because we feel like they have more room, and therefore McDonald can just drop deep and split centre backs. Um, I feel like um, the introduction of Mitrovic has has given us uh, unlimited facets to our play, and it's just really allowed us to really stamp our mark on the division and squeeze the life out of other teams where with the other two strikers we couldn't. I think it's an interesting one. Uh, again, another good email and a good question with which is causing food for thought, some would say. But it's a... Um, hey, that was very nice. That was a very nasty phrase, thank you. But um, I, I actually would touch on a doy. I think it's it's easy to think that Mitrovic's obviously hold-up play is, is, is the cause and, and root of this. And obviously it's had a massive effect in that we play... You know, we we have an outlet, but I doesn't. I don't think we've changed our style completely, and I think that that's due to the fact that we now are able to pass the ball around between the back four. And when Callas and Reem have the ball together, they tend to knock it between each other a bit, and then they sort of you know go left, right, left, right, left, right, and then we we work it out from the back. Adoy's not quite the same. Adoy's more of a driving forward kind of player, and we've seen Callas do this and lose the ball, and he stopped doing it, and we commended him for stop, stopping doing it because he kept losing the ball in the middle and it was kind of fine but mostly Adoy is happy to sort of take a player on beat him and then he plays this little chip ball forward which Callas never did even when he carried the ball forward Callas never did this he plays this sort of chip ball into the striker at kind of chest height and we saw him do it with Kamara a lot actually before Christmas and I think that it's something to note that he does bring that into the game what's changed is that now that ball's effective it, it you know and now that ball sticks and it's able to be moved around but I think that the actual drive kind of longer ball that we've seen played in the last two games or so is actually quite a lot due to Adoy's kind of influence in the back four and how he looks to play the ball forward in a different manner to someone like Callas. On the email, the, the, the chat mentions that he feels like um, Stephanie Johansson and Thomas Kearney have been able to play a little bit further forward, but I think if you look at it, I don't know if they actually are. I think it's because... I think Steph is. It's because Steph is slightly, but... Kearney maybe not so I think the reason it looks like they're further up is because the, when the ball sticks they're allowed to get up with play a lot quicker um, and whereas when the ball sort of like ricochets off um, Kamara for example or it gets lost with Fonte obviously they don't there becomes quite a bit of a disconnect between the midfield and the striker Mitrovic doesn't really allow for that because of the, uh, the way he can get his body in the way from the ball and he can actually find a pass it makes it visually look like both of them are playing further forward when in actual fact, it probably isn't. It's just because the team is moving up. And everyone talks about Barca sort of squeezing 25 metres of the pitch and really like um, using the angles and, and squeezing the life out of the other team. And I think we're starting to do that because there is genuinely now an option to get up with the striker, what we didn't have before. Uh, yeah, there's an interesting point, though, at the end of that email. I think it's the one thing we can all agree on. Is And he says, 
it's the most he's ever enjoyed watching a Fulham mm. team. And I, I just can't disagree with that. I just no. think at the moment that it's it's a real... It's kind of halcyon days, isn't it, for, for being a Fulham fan? Because, yes, the Europa team was brilliant. And, yes, Tagana's promotion team was brilliant. And also, in the Premier League, there were also even the ones that didn't achieve particularly great heights but you know just did well in the Premier League and got some good away victories none of them were gave me the kind of excitement that this team does and, and that's that's amazing and I, and I hope that if this team does go up I can still get a bit of that from this team next season although the games are going to be obviously much harder I think that we're all enjoying it a little bit more because since um, we've been playing in this style we've all become sort of accustomed to what modern football actually looks like now in terms of the passing and the movement and using wing and that sort of thing and, and likes of Guardiola and Simeone and, Bur- um, and like people like that going to right, rising to the top of the game um, and all the teams Setien. playing that way PK Setien yeah uh, all those kind of guys right, rising to be the cream of the crop because they play a, a football that's in such a stylistic way and now seeing us playing it at Craven Cottage is it was almost a dream come true for a lot of us fans. Speaking of um, managers, Jukanovic to Chelsea rumours popped up over the weekend. Nonsense or potentially something in it? Um, I wrote a Twitter thread on this, so um, you can you can find it at, at Jack J Collins. Um, but basically, I, in fact, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna find it and read it because it actually was a reasonable point, and I quite enjoyed the way I made it. Surely you can remember it if it's that good. I can, but I just want to read it. He just wants to plug his own Twitter. Yeah, that's basically what I'm going for here. He's growing followers fast, and it's, uh, it's, a, scary, never, it's a scary time. Here, I've got Ari Chelsea Kanovic story. He's an ex-Chelsea player making waves in English management, just as Chelsea looks set to replace their manager. It's not that much of a stretch to make a link, and I said I wouldn't read into it. To take it a little bit further, look how long it took Slavisa to implement his passing style at Fulham, especially in the, you know, if you remember the second half of that season he took over from Mikanovic, took over from Skit Simons. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't it wasn't nice, it was just get the job done football. And it was only when Slavisa was able to go in, make his mark, and actually, you know, build a team around the players, the kind of players he wanted, even if he wasn't picking them all, then, you know, that he really started to get results. And bear in mind the Chelsea, the, the the mindset at Chelsea is instant results, instant you know gratification. And look at the likes of you know AVB who came in and tried to implement a style. It didn't work straight away. Gone by February. And especially you remember that at Chelsea, Conte came out not long ago and said, "I don't pick the players. I just he's like, I have a word with the transfer committee and whatever, and I have a voice. But ultimately, it's not down to me who we sign." And I can't see Savisa walking out of one job where he hated that and into another one where he hates it too. Mm. Um, he'd even have he'd have less control over the players he has at his disposal, and two, he'd have no t- little to no time to get those players playing in his quite distinctive style of football. Not just on his side, though, would this be kind of mad? Abramovich employing a manager who's had no experience at a top level football club, uh, and never mind the Premiership, in a season where Chelsea genuinely have to bounce back because they're probably not going to get Champions League football. And yes, there's sentimental value in bringing back an ex-player, admittedly one who wasn't particularly liked or, or loved at Chelsea. He, right. he didn't really do anything at all. But there's sentimental value in it nonetheless. But if Chelsea weren't going to give someone like AVB, who had European pedigree, time to impose a style, why would they do it for Jukanovic, who's got less plaudits to his name? Mm. It's not impossible, but it doesn't really make sense mm. and seems to be born of sentimental- mm. sentimentality rather than logic, I would say. It's hard to argue with that, Jack. It really is. <laughs> End thread. I think with a Chelsea, you're obviously looking at a top-level manager regardless of, of who it is. Uh, it's been touted for years and Simeone's uh, reconstructed his contract twice now so it ends in a, in a quicker in a quicker time frame. I think it's due to end at the end of this, this season, actually. Um, it wouldn't be... I don't think it would be too much of a stretch of imagination to see um, Simeone rock up at Chelsea at some point. I think that's a far more likely outcome. Well, hopefully the rumours aren't true. And um, that's all we've got time for on this week's uh, Fulhamish podcast. As I mentioned, we'll be back in midweek with Fulhamish Extra looking ahead to Derby Day. And what a big derby it promises to be down at Craven Cottage. It's Paddy's Day. It is Paddy's Day. And 
There's England, Ireland afterwards. Not that too much is riding on the game, although lots There's of... a slam ri- riding okay. on it. Lots of riding for an Ireland, not so much for England. It could, was potentially going to be a title decider. Anyway, it's going to be a good day down in South West London on Saturday, especially if we can pick up three points. So we'll be previewing that one. Uh, plus, we'll be speaking to David Lloyd, as I mentioned, from There's Only One F in Fulham, or Two Fifth. As you may know it. Much more commonly known. So, um, Jack, what are we naming today's podcast? Jack Collins, I must be clear. I'm prepared for this one today. I am. I have thought of it. Name. I'm going to call it Super Subs, Super Serbs. S S S S. Yeah. Loves the alliteration, doesn't it? I, I, it's, it's actually sibilance with an S when you use it as an S. What? So alliteration for every letter, but if it's S's, it's called sibilance. Wow. Yeah. There you are. Did you know that, Jack? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that? No. Oh, at least me and Ben uh, can be on the other Good, good English lit fact. Yeah. Yeah. Smooth state school, mate. As well. Yeah, on the uneducated oh, side of the desk. <laughs> <laughs> you can give me that shit. <laughs> right, well, um, we will be back with Fulhamish Extra in the week. To Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. To Jack Kelly, back for another pod, hopefully on another one soon. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Sammy. And Ben Jarman, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.